Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast of Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we talk about when we talk about faith. Today's episode is a very special one. It is the conversation between myself, Leslie, and Ed after the premiere of our film, The Marks We Make. We chat about the film, we field some wonderful audience questions, and we thought our delightful podcast audience would enjoy it as well. So this is the conversation after the premiere, and you can go and watch The Marks We Make, a short-form documentary on our YouTube channel, Round Hill Media. The easiest way is to type in The Marks We Make on the search engine in YouTube. Enjoy. Thank you. So... We wanted to talk about the film a little bit um, for the podcast and answer any questions you guys would have. I don't know if you have questions about it. It was such a fun experience. Do come, wait, come on, come on. Because we, this is one of those ideas which I think, like starting the podcast, I don't remember where the idea came from, which I think is the, the, a sign it was a good idea. Because <laughs> I'm not blaming anybody for it. <laughs> it popped up. It just popped up. Um, and like you said, we've been working on it for six months. It feels a little bit like 60 years sometimes because it was definitely a, a labor of love. And I learned so much through that process. Um, and what was really fun was that um, in you talked about it this morning and then in the film a little bit about your creative process about sort of just playing and experimenting and seeing where it goes. And that was very much the approach I took with this because I didn't know what I was doing. So I thought, we'll find out where it goes and we'll find out where the material is leading us. Um, so like, we never did a time lapse before and behold, four time lapses and, uh, and all, that, all those sorts of things. What was it like for you to make a film, <laughs> be in a film? Sort of thing, yeah. So I had seen little pieces of this, but this is the first time I had seen the whole thing. So it's just amazing, amazing. And the amount of time that it takes to do something like this is not to be underestimated. <laughs> Gus, you can probably say something about this, right? <laughs> it's, it is very, I didn't realize how labor intensive and how many little questions have to be asked you know, over and over again as you're constructing something. And for me, so it was a wonderful collaboration. And the one thing that was the most challenging thing for me is to talk about something that I do pretty much because I don't have to talk about it. <laughs> so, you know, this is a whole side of me that's wordless. And uh, Susan knows, you know, open the basement door, go down, descend into the depths. <laughs> she hears the music wafting up, you know, from, the, from down there. But um, Leslie was a very skillful interviewer and questioner. And so when we were able to be in that space and she was asking me questions, uh, I found that it was actually a safe place to, be, to talk about things that normally I might not talk about. And uh, I thought the one section which was wordless was kind of interesting because we were reflecting on that poem uh, right There's a beautiful poem by Wendell Berry who says, I'm paraphrasing, but he says something like, you know, when I become worried about the world, 
I, uh, I go to where the wild heron lies. You know, he goes out into, the, into, the, into nature, and he says, with wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. So for those of us who are inclined to worry a lot, that's a very powerful image. He's not taxing his life. I, and I think that in and of itself is powerful. And that's what art is for me. It's untaxed time. And that's what Leslie was able to bring that forward. And I hadn't really thought about that. I hadn't really thought about a lot of these things until she asked the question. So. Well, it was, it's, he's being very kind because I would sit there and go, so tell me about what you're doing. <laughs> and then I would just sit on the stairs and do this and listen. Uh, well, you would, it's, it was, it was, it made, did make me giggle while I was editing the, the time lapses because a lot of the time lapses were done while Ed was doing some of the, the, the speaking you saw. So he would be painting and then he would get on a roll and he would stop painting. So these whole sections of the time lapse where nothing happens because he was being a genius, but also multitasking was not possible. Creating some unhelpful gaps. <laughs> unhelpful, it's, yeah. It was fine. It worked out great, but I, it made me chuckle yeah. <laughs> while I was editing. It was fun. And I think the other, the other thing that came to the surface, and by the way, that footage from Father Bill Moore that's included, Leslie got that. We did a podcast with Tom Irwin, who's an art dealer in Los Angeles, who handled Bill Moore's artwork over the years and sold it. And um, that was really emotional to see that. Uh, tonight and because here's a man I only spoke to one time in my life but he really really matters to me and um, so to be able to see the the way he worked I mean I don't think that guy ever cleaned a brush in his life you know and every time you get a brush make sure you take care of it in just this way nope stick him down into the paint he'd pull it out and that's how he worked he broke he broke rules he didn't care about that and thank God he had that great bishop in his life early on who said, go do it. I mean, I think that was rare, um, but that was very fortunate. So here he, he's now alive in us, thanks to being able to bring that footage in. Well, the funny thing was that's actually where we started. That was one of the first right. audio clips I had was him, was you, you were talking about Bill Moore, and I thought, well, what am I going to put? I have this great audio. We recorded it down in the podcast studio, so the audio quality was top notch. And I was like, How, what am I going to do? Because <laughs> I was like, it has to, we have to, if he's going to talk about Bumor, we have to see Bumor. And lo and behold, there was this fabulous footage. And Tom was like, yeah, use it. Go for it. It was so generous with it and generous with his time. I definitely commend that podcast episode to you. Um, so it was really fun. I love seeing just like the handfuls and the smearing. I was like, I feel like that's my life in about two years with a toddler. Just paint, <laughs> paint. Right, Mary? Yeah. She says, yeah. So it was really fun. So, you know, I think this really... So Leslie walks around the hallways quite often during the week here and says, I love my job. I do. I love my job. And, you know, to be able to have this kind of setting that encourages this kind of creativity and exploration, this is not necessarily all that common. And I think that is something to really consider very carefully that we have that space. That is very, that, that you've helped to create that space. That's very, very important, so. Absolutely, so thank you all. Thank you for your support. It will be on YouTube from now on. 
because I know you'll want to revisit it on a weekly basis. It's fine. Um, and we have lots of good, this is the end of, of Art Month, I've been calling it. So we have some wonderful uh, podcasts up. We have an episode with Morella. We have an episode with Tom. We have a conversation with us about kind of how all, all this started. Um, and we'll have the film on the computer in the gallery as well. So when you come look at it. So thank you all very much and enjoy the rest of the evening. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a question or two. You mentioned something about revisiting your relationship with art in college. Did you do art in college, or what was what was that all about? So I, I love to tell this story. Where's John Downing? Right back here. You, John, you just have to raise your hand here, please, so everyone can see John. He wasn't my art instructor in college, but but pretty close. So I, in my very first semester of college, I had never ever taken an art class. Nothing in high school. But I have some art in my background. My grandfather, who sadly died at the age of 24, um, so when my mother was a very, very little girl, he died. But he was an artist, sort of on the side. We still have some of his sketches, and other members in the family as well. So I took this class from a man named Czech Baderf. And that was a revelation to me. And interestingly enough, I just gravitated even then towards abstract art and charcoal. So fast forward a whole bunch of years since then, and about five years ago, I was telling this story, and John said, well, Czech Baderf was in my fraternity at the University of Kansas. I won't mention the year, John. <laughs> and John was able to give me Czech Baderf's address, and I could call him and say thank you for getting me started. And so that's, that's the answer to your question. <laughs> so how much forethought do you approach any given work with? As little as possible. <laughs> I mean absolutely as little as possible. I want to approach, the, I, cho I choose a canvas, and that canvas might be uh, one that's already been treated and surfaced and ready to go, but during the last two and a half years, those painting services have mostly been Amazon boxes. So I discovered that when you take an Amazon box and you break it apart because you want to recycle it, it forms the shape of a cross or a plus sign. And I really became drawn to that. So most of what I have in my, our basement, <laughs> in the parsonage, are all of these plus signs. So I would say that lives there, and I might be encouraged to sort of veer in that direction, but basically when I, especially with charcoal, I do not have any idea whatsoever when I, and that's the most important part of that for me, is not to know. It was, it was fascinating filming in the basement because it turns out that basement was made for filming. It was like really great shadow and really great light and the, and the, the sound and the whole thing. It was amazing. But I can attest to that because would, we would be talking and he would look up something, pick it up and go, oh, that's interesting. And then just throw it down and just go. And it was really, really amazing to watch. It was really fascinating. Questions? Yes, it's a, it's a follow-up kind of what Ken asked, because I think I know the answer. So you do that, and at the end, with the result, because you weren't planning the result, that's when it comes to you about what to name it. Because I was walking through the halls. It was really powerful, the one of George Floyd. Very powerful. But I would assume it came to you after you did it. And like even the one untitled. I mean, they're just... Is, am I right about that? You are right about that. Yeah, yeah that all comes uh, way down the road. Yep. 
And the one thing I, I will say that amazes me or interests me about all this process is sometimes the little connections that happen that you can't plan, um, but there you will see that there's a piece of art out there that says, in memoriam, George Floyd. And it, it sort of looks like a t-shirt. And I didn't realize until afterward that I have among many things hanging around the studio, a little tiny cardboard cutout of a t-shirt. And that was given to me when I was at a workshop years ago by a woman who cuts out hundreds of these things and puts them at different pieces of her artwork. And I asked her why. And she said that she was very close to her brother and he died when he was young and she always thought of him in his white t-shirt. And it was, uh, it was about innocence and youth and loss and so many things, right? You wouldn't know it just looking at it as an outsider, but that's what it meant to her. And I had to believe that that came from having been given. And she said, here, I want one, you to have one of these. And I think that's maybe where that came from. So then the naming, as you say, comes later. So I, I don't think there's ever any connection, but if there's music that's been created between 1975 and 1981, I'm in the zone. <laughs> Just like that. I should, maybe I'll get my playlist out there. So, <laughs> so Leslie doesn't dictate the music. No, I, we're, no, not quite, exactly. <laughs> Peter Frampton, you got it, yeah. When you're working, your brain is open and it's Blowing out the out the little holes everywhere. Okay, there's your there's no little box for you. It's way out there. Did you have to train? Did you have to train yourself for that, or has your brain always been that way? <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> we'll have an intermission so I can think about that. I'm not sure how my brain has always been. I have to think about maybe by Easter, right? So I, I love being in that zone where I don't know, and I have not found that I've had to train myself to do that. It sort of sits naturally in that place. And I do know that that's not always something that um, comes naturally or easily for all people. I was taking a class at Silvermine, which is a wonderful art resource over in New Canaan, and I was there every Thursday afternoon creating art. And there was always the same woman who was sitting right next to me. And she said, you know, that would drive me nuts. She said, not knowing. She said, I cannot tolerate that. I have to know what I am going to do when I show up here and pull the paints out and get started. And I said, well, you know, I kind of feel the same way about what you're doing. <laughs> so I said, I think we're, we're working just fine over here. But I do... So it, it feels very natural to have that sense of, I don't know what this is going to be, and I can't wait to find out. Yeah. May I ask a follow-up? So when do you know when something's complete? And in your mind, <laughs> knowing that you're a one on the Enneagram, how do you know if it's good enough? <laughs> <laughs> Give it a passing grade, right? When, when does that happen? So uh, that's a very common question. How do you know when something is completed, especially if it's an abstract piece? At least if it's representational, you, you get to that point, you think, if I add one more thing here, I'm going to overwork this, and it's too late. It'll ruin it. But with abstraction, that may not be the case. And so you're, I'm constantly watching, watching, watching all the time. But I do get to the point where I don't even know that I'm doing that. 
So I can tell at some point where it has gotten, it has arrived, and it's almost as if I make one more mark, it's going to be like that snowflake that falls on the branch in the forest after a storm. It's that one flake that's going to make that limb fall and break. And I feel like it's that, you know, it's that edge. It's one more mark. Now, I have created things and looked at them and thought, oh, what in the world was I thinking? And started and gone and done the whole thing over again. Yeah, and so the charcoals, someone was asking earlier about how they're created. I will often lay down a lot of charcoal, but I then pull it away with an eraser. So the eraser is just as important to me as the charcoal in the creation of those pieces. That's, that's the sort of negative way of pulling it away after the charcoal has been put down on the paper. Yeah, great question. The exhibition goes on, and just before, you know, we've thanked, it's been so wonderful to be with Morella, and we've, Leslie, you've thanked so many people in the film, Linda and Roland, and so many others who've been part of this, and I also want to make sure, Kyle's my son, who's right over here, he saw a lot of this in creation, and my muse in this is the woman who's sitting right there, Susan. So enjoy. There's plenty of good things to eat and have a really fun time. And thank you so much. And by the way, 50% of whatever is sold tonight, it goes back to the church. So it's my act of gratitude for everything the church has made possible for me. So enjoy. Enjoy.